It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Think or Be Eaten. And with us is an old visitor. Uh, you've heard him here and with Brandy and um, with um, Derek and Sharon. It's William Ramsey, and, of course, uh, he first uh, came on with all of us, I believe, uh, when he came out with the book Prophet of Evil, Alistair Crowley, 9-11 and the New World Order. Uh, he's come on today to talk to, uh, I believe, one finished piece and one that he's working on. It looks like it's going to be a series. Uh, some interesting stuff and also uh, some uh I guess, coincidences that we talked about off mic, which uh, it just doesn't get any better. So, William, thanks a lot for coming back. It's good to hear from you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Glad to be back on. All right. Um, now, you sent out that uh, the first article entitled Temples of the Illumined Ones, uh, the Rockefeller Buildings. Can uh, we uh, springboard off that? Absolutely. I mean, I basically, uh, you know, when I was doing my research, I just kept seeing these, uh, you know, basically for my first book, uh, I kept seeing these references to Prometheus, and it kind of, and and also just the stuff that I learned about WTC, and then I started to see correlations between these uh, large building complexes in New York that were all affiliated to the Rockefeller family. And so I've just been kind of researching, and I, I really almost have only scratched the surface. I've I've never been to them on site, but I've just been able to take a look at the pictures uh, of the occult sculptures that are, uh, you know, basically placed within. The building complexes and you know what i saw was you know i just wanted to put them all together and just show people that these are more than or were in this case of the world trade center were and are more than mere uh building complexes but they're also designed for specific reasons and those reasons are kind of occultic new world order type reasons uh you know i i um i walked past the building i don't know how many times i actually got to skate there once in different ignorant of all that was around me, but I guess most people are like that. In a way, you really, you really can't blame them because they don't understand the big picture. And until somewhere in, in along the line, a hole gets poked in that wall, uh, which may not even be put up by their own devices. Uh, you really don't understand. And I guess in some cases, William, maybe it's good for some folks, you know, that they don't know what kind of evil um, they live every day in. And I, you know, you can understand that too. For some, it would be, I think, too much. For those who know the Lord, I mean, you, you know, you have the armor. But um, it's really amazing just when you get aware uh, how in your face it is. Agreed. I mean, I like, uh, for me, you know, I didn't know anything about the occult or anything about numerology. And, you know, for me, it was like I'm in a process of awakening, really, and just seeing more and more and uh, letting it kind of, you know, enter into my mind stuff that I've seen forever. And I've seen the, this Prometheus statue used many, many more times in the backdrops of films and pictures and events. I think it was used as a backdrop. Giuliani was there greeting the torchbearer from the Olympics. I think it was in 2004 on their way to uh, Salt Lake City. <laughs> the light bearer. So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, so it's it's been used in all kinds of ceremonies, films. So that's just like the Prometheus. But... Uh, when you realize that these huge buildings were built with these occult kind of high Masonic, you know, Mystery Babylon references and, uh, you know, architectural symbols, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. And it shows this, this kind of occultism is affiliated with the elite. And it goes back, you know, before at least my time, you know, it goes way back. I'm just going to ask you real quick. Um, have you ever been um, to the WTC complex prior to 2001? No. I've been in New York, but I'd never actually been on site there. I w- I'm just going to run this by it, but, I mean, I, again, there's there's that one sculpture that's there. Um, 
would this be necessarily a, a Prometheus also, the, the supporting of the world, I think it is, on one's back? Uh, the Atlas? Is that, is that the WTC? Yeah, or the, yeah it's the Atlas, uh, yeah, The right? WC is the Great Spherical Karyatid. Karyatid, right. So the Great Spherical Karyatid was made by Koenig, and its, its purpose was the kind of binding together of nature, nation states, its stated purpose. One of the interesting things is that it's called a Karyatid, but it's not a Karyatid in a, in a very definitive sense. A Karyatid is a kind of a human being, uh, a, a, sta- a pillar that's shaped like a human being holding up a temple. So the application of the word karyotid to this circular globe uh, connotes to me this meaning that this is more than just a couple of buildings. This is a temple. And I think that is the purpose of the uh, the whole building or architectural design of the WDTC. Well, you know, I, like I, I was there once. I was in the building once. Uh, i got to tell you, and there's something that's not, and I don't mean to get spooky about this, but there was something I never felt good about, the towers. And to be honest with you, they're somewhat scary. When I was there, um, I looked up, and I know vertigo is something you're supposed to get when you're up on top, I think, right? But they were so monstrous. And as you stood there, I don't know if you ever got that experience, especially perhaps as a young child. I don't know. But I'm, I just I kept looking up, and it was a point at which I didn't want to look up anymore. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. I mean, I think that those are huge buildings. They were the biggest buildings built for their time. They stood out above and beyond an already uh, sizable skyline. And uh, they're, they were very abnormally built, constructed. Uh, the whole, the levers that had to be pulled to get them built, nobody really wanted them. I mean, it's a, the whole history of the WTC complex is, uh, is very peculiar. It is indeed. And what, what, it, what happens is, too, across time, unless you go back and take a look in, in uh, accounts uh, that were contemporary to the building of the tower, even when they were deciding whether this was going to happen or not, most people didn't want it. Downtown merchants were completely opposed to it. Um, even some council people were. And in uh, a PBS documentary called uh, Center of the World, uh, some old journalists from that time recall kind of whimsically that you know, it doesn't matter who was against it, uh, in certain terms, they just said, no, uh, well, of course, Nelson was part of this. But David got, you know, he got things done. And at that time, also, Nelson was governor, I believe. And um, and that went up against most people's wishes. Um, of course, the Rockefellers also donated land on which the uh, UN was built. And he wanted this, obviously, David, is, is a world trademark. But I have to wonder, too, sometimes, William, you know, with the two towers, uh, you know, we've talked about this uh, with regard to your book. But, I mean, are we supposed to look at those towers, too, uh, in a way that recalls numerology, like 11? I would say that they do. I mean, I think that they are a big 11. And in the way that in in my reading of the deeper occult is that the 11 is merely, you know, it's a, it's a, it's definitely a, magic, a power number, but it also represents kind of duality. It represents, uh, it's basically an ideogram, not so much as perceived as a number within the... Uh, Arabic numeral system, but also this kind of opposites, which is a magical uh, magical symbol of opposites coming together. So in the, the magician uh, doing his magical work by his own will, and you see the triumph of the importance of the will and the magician, um, is to bring together these opposites, whether it's, you know, fire and ice. These are high kind of mm-hmm. Illuminati or magical concepts, is my understanding. Uh, for example, the the five and the six of the pentagram and the hexagram, the whole idea is to bring the microcosm and the microcosm together. So in some ways, these tim- symbols, uh, the towers symbolize this kind of uh, duality or, uh, you know, coming together of opposites, an ideogram, as Crowley would say. And, uh, you know, they're 110 stories tall, so that's an 11. And then you, you can look at all the numbers and num- numerology that were inlaid into the, the 9-11 event. I mean, it's just all there, the 11, 93 77, 175. So you see that event. So uh, I would say, and then there's a, there's another element of like the Masonic uh, view, which is uh, you know those are the Boaz and Joshin, the two pillars that are associated with the Temple in Jerusalem, and also the pillars of, of uh, Hercules, which was kind of like uh, going out into the New World or this kind of uh, gateway or symbolic gateway, and. Uh, so there's a lot of occult interpretations that I think do hold 
when you see these buildings as kind of more temple structures than mere, you know, functional, pragmatic, uh, you know, office buildings. When I watched that uh, get built, I, I remember most, uh, I guess, markedly, was when I was going to uh, a high school. I'd been in a junior high, so we went to this high school, which sat atop the Palisades in New Jersey. It was Cliffside High School, Cliffside Park High School. And uh, after football, uh, waiting for the bus to take us to a uh, descending district, which is the town of Palisades Park, you know, we all stand out there and watch how much progress they made. And we all said to ourselves, you know, somebody's going to fly a plane into that. Because as they got bigger, it almost was like somebody saying, come on, give me a shot. Do you know what I mean? Because it was so monstrous. Yeah. It was like, come on, you just ask it for a slap upside the head. But, you know, but I looked at them, I have to say, as columns. I couldn't really understand what it was a gateway to, perhaps, or what it protected. Not in those days, you know, in, in any shape, way, or form. But um, there's also some information to the fact that those towers were compromised, not by this, you know, they, they came out all these theories about the concrete was bad and aluminum in the car. I don't know. But I had a guy on that was a, a architectural photographer who I think got invited to a certain uh, meeting with regard to the towers by mistake, as he calls it, but he was there. And just, I mean, this is an aside, but he had said that those towers are always buffered by winds. I mean, it just doesn't stop. That's, you know, the thermals right. go through there as well. And what was right. happening is somewhere down below, the torque was being taken by a number of floors, and it got to the point where they were saying, listen, this thing's going to go over unless it gets deconstructed. And uh, what, what this gentleman said was that, you know, the EPA was going to tell Rockefeller, the boys, that it had to go down. I'm like, well, I don't think you have to tell them anything. You're not going to tell Rocky anything. But I'm just wondering if there is some truth to the fact that if something had to happen, why not knock down the towers, you deconstruct it, and you also set us off in a course more closely to a world government because of the fear of terrorism. Do you want to address that at all, William, or did you hear well, anything? Well, yeah, I mean, it's almost as if, for me, uh, my conclusions of just looking at everything and the, the temple nature of this is almost like they were built to be brought down. So yeah. whoever built them didn't want them to last that long anyway, you know. Uh, so I see it as more of a, a long-term plan, and I don't like that conclusion. I don't even like the conclusion that 9-11 is an inside job, and I don't like the conclusion that there's occult satanic elements to it, but... You know, another conclusion is looking at all this is like, well, why would you build this this monstrosity that's not fu very functional and you have to take multiple elevators to get to the top and, you know, it sticks out like a sore thumb. I mean, why would you do this? And for me, uh, it's almost like they built it to bring it down. And, and I just got to ask you because you piqued my curiosity. I mean, I don't I don't call it an inside job for my own purposes. Why, why do you not like uh, also the uh, term inside job? The term inside job. Uh, I guess I just for me it's it's uh, there's it's inside and outside. I mean, there's so many people who are interested in seeing this event take place for all types of reasons, you know. So Agreed. businesses and defense departments will will keep the cover story going because they know they're going to get tons of money, which they have. They were reinfused with billions and billions of dollars, uh, so they're going to hold the story. The you know the corporate media is. Uh, interested in having people watch and, you know, cowering people and into fear. And the Zionists see this as a as an element of benefit for them to malign the Muslim world and, you know, go into Iraq. And that plan was there before 9-11 for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and, you know, uh, apparently that I think... Uh, I think they were, there were statements that they were going to go into Iraq even before George Bush's first presidency. So I think that, uh, you know... Inside job, I think, is uh, it's more than that. I think that it definitely is a conspiracy and definitely uh, a pre-planned event. And I think that if you see my movie, A Cold Hollywood, there's a lot of sequences where the Twin Towers are used uh, very suspiciously, in particular the End of Days movie. I think we talk about that with, with Schwarzenegger, where the devil appears right in between the Twin Towers in the background in this very uh, strange uh you know, placement that really connotes uh, an inside understanding of, of uh, you know, some kind of long-term plan, I think. So, you know, I don't know, inside job for me just doesn't mm -hmm. it doesn't no. contain all the meanings. No, because and I, I was going to say, just from the standpoint of, if you take a look at the previous administrations, 
Uh, I guess you could argue about what might have been under Carter's watch. Mm, maybe not, but certainly under, uh, let's see, uh, did Daddy Bush have anything go on between 88 and 92? I don't think so. But under Clinton, there was obviously two things, and that was the uh, Murrow building uh, bombing and also the uh, bombing of the Trade Center. Yeah, 93. Yeah, and uh, and then we go on to uh, Shrub, and of course Shrub had, obviously, uh, 2000, uh, 9-11-2001. Uh, yeah, so I don't think any administration um, is actually free from not being involved in any of this. And I, li- I don't like inside job, too, because it sounds like it was just Bush's administration, and it goes way beyond that. I think you'd agree. So. Yeah, I think, I think so. Um, well, you know, I didn't talk about the movie either. Do you want to just surprise people of what you all have available now? We talked about the book. Uh, now you have the movie, too, which I'm sorry, i got to apologize. I had, I had forgotten about. So can you speak to that right now? Yeah, I think uh, I've got uh, I've got two movies. I, I made a documentary on Crowley, and kind of uh, in, included in that documentary is uh, uh, basically some information regarding the people Crowley has influenced, kind of his disciples, Leary, Hubbard, uh, the bands, and and movies. And then I did a, uh, kind of a first volume of a Cold Hollywood, which uh, basically has a bunch of <clears throat> you know films and. Uh, the other directors who have included a variety of these kind of deep occult numerology, numerological meanings and uh, statues in their films. For example, it's Oliver Stone, uh, Stanley Kubrick, and uh, what's his name? Uh, Roman Polanski. So, and yeah, so those are available on my website, www.occult911.com. Uh, okay, so they can go to that website and they can access and or purchase uh, the book. Uh, the um, the DVDs that you're doing? Yeah, definitely. i got to get a new website. I'm trying to upgrade my website, but I just just don't have the, seem to have the time, so I've got to put that together. But, yeah, it's, okay. they're available now. Um, i got um, uh, two more questions. Uh, well, at least one uh, before we go back uh, to the to 30 Rock, and that is there's something else that's going on in New York, and I don't know um, your feelings about it, but the Empire State Building was up earlier, it did withstand an accidental bombing. I mean, not bombing, excuse me, but uh, impact by a plane. It wasn't a military plane in the fog. Uh, so it, it was up there before the towers. It still exists there. Now, one thing, and of course, I lived how long in that area? Like 40-some-odd years, and I never put this together, uh, but, you know, I didn't know things then. One is that, let's face it, the Empire State Building is, is an obelisk, is it not? It sure looks like it. <laughs> to me, it does. The second thing is, why did they call it the Empire State Building? Why is New York the Empire State? Or is well, I think Empire State was a uh, insurance company, as far as I know. Oh, really? They were the one who put it together. Yeah. Well, because I have to laugh too, because you know that building with the name Empire is in a state that that of course what, does what? I mean, not that Jersey is, is exempt from this, but it also harkens back. Empire ba- State, right? Huh? Yeah. Well, yeah. New York. Right. York. Uh, you know, York, right? Whatever you want to, you know, whatever you want to do with it. But obviously, those colonies, for a lot of reasons, uh, assumed uh, names from the uh, motherland. And uh, but I think it, huh? Yes. Yeah, I just think it's interesting that the Empire State Building is the big, you know, is now still the biggest uh, thing in town. It's an obelisk that was there since what? I guess the 30s, and uh, and it's still there. And I wonder if there's anything that's sanctified about that as well. I don't know, but at any rate. I haven't studied it, but I mean, the the thing is, the more I study a lot of these buildings, the more you just, you know, when you look at it through the prism of what is a cult and what's the, their deeper meaning, there always seems to be something there. Well, here's what I want to ask you, too. If, if you find anything interesting about uh, this kind of uh, propensity to attach to this particular myth, uh, what do you, do you know, or can you hazard a guess, or do you know for a fact, why the whole Prometheus legend is so attractive um, I would say to occultists uh, in particular, or, or in general, and the Rockefellers in particular. Yeah, I think that Prometheus is the symbolic. Prometheus was a titan who stole fire from the gods in yeah, Greek right. mythology and gave it to man. So he was kind of the symbol of every of civilization and the arts. And uh, the concept of Prometheus as the devil has has. Uh, always been attractive to Luciferians, and it even goes back before Blavatsky, but Blavatsky seems to be one of the, the people who spoke most about Lucifer, I mean, uh, as, of Prometheus as Lucifer. But uh, 
I think one of the poets, I think it was Shelley, wrote yep. Uh, yep. Uh, a poem about Prometheus, and you know he lived a very libertine kind of uh, you know Crowleyan lifestyle. I guess died young, and he was an associate of Lord Byron. But uh, so that that concept of this symbolic representation of the devil as Prometheus goes back, and you know Blavatsky herself. Um, you know, said that Prometheus is, uh, you know, hurled down to the palm, a bottomless pit. So there's this kind of symbolic, you know, representation of, you know, Prometheus as, um, you know, as kind of Lucifer. So these these allegorical uh, symbol, you know, similarities. And then she even said that, you know, there hence the allegory of Prometheus who steals the divine fire so as to allow men to proceed consciously on the path of spiritual evolution. So here she's basically perverting, uh, you know, the devil as this kind of great teacher of humanity, which uh, I guess if you're a worshiper of the devil, that I guess is it, you know. But then it's interesting that she calls uh, humans the most perfect of animals into a potential god. So here's the, the same kind of occult notion of man as god, which is a total farce. But I guess if you want to believe you're a god, you can, even though, you know, Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. People get old and die. I haven't seen one of these occultists ever outlive, you know, 80 years or whatever. But um, so, you know, so she she referred to the Prometheus myth. And then that Prometheus statue is gilded in uh, right there in the center of the uh, Rockefeller Center. And, you know, people skate in front of it, and it's pretty amazing. I think that the the statement behind it that's etched in granite is pretty interesting, and a lot of people are not familiar with it. But what it says is, Prometheus, teacher in every art, brought the fire that hath proved to mortals a means to mighty ends. So there's even this uh, connotation with the statue that, you know, the devil can help you achieve and, you know, overcome. And I think that <clears throat> you can kind of see that within the Rockefeller family and their their view towards other people and towards their business. I mean, they were uh, survival of the fittest, some of the most ruthless people out there, and uh, really operated as an you know uh, an elite for over a hundred years in this country. It's interesting, you know. They go back. The, the original Rockefeller was a snake oil salesman, and uh, what from upstate New son, York was it? Pardon me. From upstate New York was he? Yeah, I think so. I think that he was actually like the classic snake oil salesman who went around on a, you know, on a, like this pull cart and sold bogus oils and ointments to people. And that's where uh, the Titan or John Rockefeller, the original, you know, founder of uh, uh, Standard Oil, basically learned all the stuff from him. And his father told him never to trust anybody. Everybody lies. Uh, you know, just all kinds of pretty nasty stuff. And, uh, you know, John put it into practice and basically created the, one of the greatest monopolies in human history. Uh, yeah, I agree with you without a doubt. And, and thinking about occultists who uh, have uh, gone deep into octogenarianism, I don't have to say that word many times, who are 80 or older. Um, David's right up there. I mean, he's got to be the yeah, last. I think he's 95. Jeez. Yeah, he's old. Uh, well, you know, and one thing, I'm, I'm sh it, it, it might be as easy as that he has um, uh, contacts. But, I mean, I look at him uh, when he spoke at uh, some of the uh, uh, meetings of groups we've never even heard of on C-SPAN, and I looked at him, he doesn't even use glasses. I mean, he just, you know, and, and, you, and, and honestly, take a look at Kissinger and some of these other characters. I mean, i, I got to wonder if they get blood transfusions every day, you know. So. Yeah, you don't know. I mean, they have access to a level of, of uh, health care that's beyond the standard American health care, so... They get the best of the best of the best, and uh, you know they never have really worked a hard day of labor in their life. So, you know their their whole they get all the best food, all the best massages, the best sleep. So uh, you know it's uh, it's easy to live that long. You know when you when you live as an elite, uh, you tend to you can if you if you play your cards right, live a long long life. Um, 
I, I would agree with that description. That they, I mean, I look at Kessinger, and he looks like some kind of like barnacle that just like hung on. I really don't know what his claim to fame was, really. I mean, from his roots. But you look He's at the affiliated Rock- with, the, with the Rockefellers. That's there his claim go. to fame. Yeah. He's just a Rockefeller minion, just like Brzezinski, the Bush family. Uh, you know, if you trace all these people back, it all ends up uh, in part on the Rockefeller doorstep. It's pretty amazing. You know, and, and I don't mean to be harder on them than one should, but I have to admit, you know, when I hear people, you know, run their mouth, especially in Patriot Radio, about how we have uh, the New World Order on the run, da 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 da. I mean, I'm looking at what the Rockefellers accomplished. Uh, what do you want to say, liberally, uh, since the 1860s, maybe? Yeah. When John D. really got in gear and, and avoided getting involved in the Civil War, uh, and then got involved in petroleum, which led also to pharmaceuticals, and now you look today, and in our, I mean, at, at, at what is probably the two most uh, utilized. Um, elements that there are, commodities, if you will, and that is obviously petroleum and pharmaceuticals. Indeed. And, and then you look also at, at the beginnings of Rockefeller or John D. Rockefeller's uh, uh, empire building, and yet the, the Morgans were involved in that also. And then the Carnegies and the Vanderbilts jump in, and they're referred to as the robber baron family, uh, families. But, I mean, I have to say that that was probably the death of the republic, which probably wasn't on all that great a keel anyway. But once yeah. those individuals uh, gathered their billions, there was no stopping them. Your thoughts on that? I, I totally agree. I mean, there were fights against these monopolies. There were There's this function in, in the law called antitrust, which nobody's probably ever heard of and certainly haven't heard of <laughs> in the current Department of yeah. Justice. But uh, they actually tried to break up the trust, which they did. They saw these uh, massive... Uh, corporate entities as a threat and wisely and uh they they had a tremendous influence because what they did is once once rockefeller controlled all the oil then he got into banking and uh the current chase bank is basically called the rockefeller bank and it has a a not so cleverly concealed swastika on my bank card that i use because i used to yeah. be a member of washington mutual and uh they got bought out in yeah. this kind of art of war stealth uh banking crisis slash bank war that, uh, you know, only a few banks and a few uh, brokerages houses came on on, t- on top, and the other ones just got wasted because they didn't have the political pull. And uh, so you still see the effects, and these are serious effects. I mean, this banking crisis was all structured, staged, and fully managed and manipulated at the highest level to have an outcome that benefited uh, a select few, and one of the select few is Chase Manhattan Bank, otherwise known as the Rockefeller Bank. So... Uh, you know, people who want to yap and yip about conspiracies and stuff like that, if they just look at the facts, uh, you know, mm-hmm. they speak for themselves. No, and you have uh, in that article also one of the quotes that I think is probably the most famous for folks like us who get it uh, about Rockefeller saying what he is, uh, you know, obviously and unabashedly a proponent of, and he calls it internationalism, but we would call it what? World uh, domination. Right, yeah. Um, I mean, he basically says, I mean, what you're living in today is uh, what what he talked about, what David Rocker, Rockefeller talked about, which is a supranational sovereignty of an intellectual elite and world bankers. And what he said specifically is that that is surely preferable to national auto-determination practice in the past century. So, I mean, at 2001, what you see is a supranational intellectual elite and bankers who are basically trying to wrest control from people who are living in this uh, paradigm of uh, national sovereignty. I, I'm not even adding like a moral co- context no. to it as whether whether national sovereignty is good or bad. But basically, you have other people who are living in those countries who don't even think they're part of that nation state. They actually believe that there's some supranational. Their their allegiance is more to a supranational entity or you, organization. Have you ever heard of a person by the name of Philander Knox? Sounds very familiar. Yeah, uh, should I tell you what? I I, I had done. Um, I didn't write an article on this, but when we had the uh, Garcia Lezine to which you contributed. Thank you. Uh, there was something I wanted included, and I gave uh, I, I gave attribution to where it came from. But Philander Knox is a really interesting person, and he was the uh, Robert Barron's lawyers at the time. They were doing what they were doing, and and Teddy Roosevelt came out. And with all the fist pumping and stuff, and said, you know, we're going to bust these trusts and all this other stuff. So on, so on the surface, everybody's all behind Teddy, and the robber barons are well aware this is going to happen. 
So while he's going out there and the government does its thing, Philander Knox and the robber barons are finding ways around it. I mean, it almost seems to be that what they did was, even though it looked like they were busting their trusts, they survived, obviously, with the help of Knox. And then what they effectively did was stop anybody else from challenging them. So in other words, the horse was out of the barn and Teddy closed the doors. So that's one look at it. Also, he was uh, a personage, uh, a principal, uh, in ramming through the um, income tax, which was not effectively ratified. But Knox says, yeah, it is. See you later. That's exactly what happened. He was Secretary of State under Taft. So, I mean, I mean, I mean it's, it's amazing. I mean, the crimes that have happened before our time that haven't been remedied are astonishing, you know. But what a great first name. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he lived up to his name. Didn't How he? do you get that name? I know. <laughs> Was he born for this? And it's also interesting, yeah. too. He came out of Ohio, which so did uh, John D. The one thing I find yeah. interesting. So did the Bushes. You know, the Bush family goes all the way back to Ohio. You know, Colvin has said that, too. You know, I don't pick him up at that point, but you're right. Yeah. The father of uh, Prescott is uh, from Ohio. So. Was, well, what's interesting is is that uh, on the Internet you could find uh, a JPEG of an article in a Cincinnati newspaper in Ohio that actually um, uh, spoke to uh, Harriman and Prescott Bush being indicted for trading with the enemy. So, yeah. it, you know, I always wondered, like, why Cincinnati? Why am I looking at this? Well, it's Ohio. Uh, McKinley also came out of Ohio, and, and the law firm that he was in it was where Knox uh, cut his teeth. But something isn't, you know, there's something else going on with McKinley to be assassinated. I don't know that you believe that, a, once again, you know, a lone uh, anarchist did it. There was something else going yeah, on there. Nothing, else, nothing in politics happens by chance. That's my general uh, axiom that I apply. So if there is a random killing, I mean, it's outside the line. Typically, they're fine. they've been finding lone nuts to do killings. Well, for for hundreds and hundreds of years, and no, I mean, it goes all the way back to uh, what's the guy who shot Lincoln? It was just one guy. Well, it didn't turn. You no, know, it's it a Booth. conspiracy, yeah. and they, they kind of you know play that down. But it was a total conspiracy to kill Lincoln. But think about this: also, a lot of people. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, I mean, again, just to frame this: think about America. Uh, when, when did he? Uh, when was McKinley um, assassinated? I think it was what ninety eight. Ninety eight. Oh, one? Something like that, right. right around the turn of the century. But here, here you have an assassination in 65. You have Garfield's assassination in 81. And now we're not that far down the road. And it's like, did anybody get, like, did anybody learn by past mistakes what to do? And then you have some guy in a line at the Buffalo Exp- uh, Exhibition, Exposition, whatever you want to call it, uh, who wants to shake McKinley's hand, and then he starts to wrap his hand in a towel. Do you think that the that the uh, Secret Service agents, which they had at the time, might have said, you know, let's talk to this guy? No, he goes up to McKinley and shoots him. Give me a break. Yeah, I know it's, so. it's crazy, but I mean that's an interesting period of time when you think from '65 onward, the assassinations and the things that took place. It's it's something that Americans don't think too much about, and probably. Um, well, they should, because yeah. so many of these people on their way to power have killed. If you look at Johnson in Texas, uh, he had his own personal hitman and killed about 10 people on the way to power. Uh, look at Clinton and how many bodies showed up in uh, Arkansas. I mean, there's just bodies everywhere. When you really look at a lot of these guys on their quest for American power, the most powerful uh, you know, political figure in the world, arguably, uh, these are they're littered with just tons of murders. I mean, it's it's astonishing. Uh, yes, I'm going to write an article just called "Kill for Power" and just show people how many people have died under these presidents that are clear political killings, and they're still they're still taking place today. No doubt, no doubt. Um, I, I was I was just looking at this. I had not seen this. Uh, I don't. Uh, if, if you would like to speak to it, the artwork in, uh, that it's entitled "Oculus: The Eye." Um, where was that placed? That was in a, a on the flooring of one of the uh, WTCs. Yeah, it was on the entrance to uh, the underground uh, subway system there. So it was like on the it was on Chamber Street at the World Trade Center. So they had the single eye radiating, and uh, you know the one eye is this kind of you know, very important symbol in the occult, and you know it symbolizes Horus and uh, you know who was the hawk-headed god, one-eyed god, and that's like a symbol of Satan. So you always see that one eye and that's on the back of the dollar bill and it's just everywhere you know so well you know remember again growing up in new york uh we had the, the three networks nbc abc cbs and i never thought about it but 
do you remember CBS's logo? Yeah, it's the eye. It's all seeing eye. <laughs> you know, and CBS, it's interesting, too, because early on they were the pioneers in TV, and they, they seem more or less to move away from that. I'm not saying they abdicated or that they, it was taken away from them, but they've gone into radio. CBS seems to be one of the, the real heavy hitters in what is also a monopoly, the airwaves. Uh, and that, but NBC moved in, and NBC seems to have taken the TV role while CBS has the uh, radio thing. But in the beginning, it was William Paley and Cronkite, who I believe both were intelligence officers in World War II, that began um, CBS. Uh, yeah, so it was Bush. Bush Sr., uh, uh, Prescott Bush was involved in the formation of CBS. He was on the board. And, uh, and, and now we have TV. I would, I would think for the most part. I mean, I have to say, between the three networks, I think NBC uh, is the 700-pound gorilla. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, they're all big. I think that, uh, you know, they're all still influential. People are still kind of glued in. Their, their influence is waning with the uh, increasing uh, abundance of stuff that's on the Internet. But, uh, you know, they're still out there. I think that they, they really have only captured and retain, retain kind of the... Uh, the more moronic uh, level of American discourse of people who will listen to that. So, Well, what I find uh, interesting, and I think this is an extension of what uh, Rockefeller has done regarding TV in the morning, the, t- the uh, Today Show has expanded exponentially. I mean, it used to be a two-hour thing. Now it's like five. And, um, you know, it is probably one of the biggest opinion shapers, and, of course, it's so early in the morning that they'll get to you first and right. they'll get to you most this with whatever is going on when you're at your least uh, sentient, probably, too. Yeah, and I'm going to ask you something that's not related. I just want your opinion about it because, obviously, we, you know, we all trust you. Um, I have often wondered why they began this, but you have new shows now that give you, obviously, the video, and you're looking at people, and then we have the crawlers. And I've often wondered if the, the, uh, if the appearance of the crawlers and whatever information goes along them, in some way, shape, or form, I don't know if this is possible with the human brain, but if it just somehow unconsciously gets into your head. Have you ever thought about that at all? Or? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I view that everything that comes across the TV is, you know, uh, of invading your basically conscious brain, your liminal brain, and your subliminal brain, you know, at certain levels. So how much you intake on that stuff, I don't know. But, uh, you know, you sit down passively in front of a television, you, sh- you sh- might want to think two or three times about what... what right. uh, what you're watching, so I, I don't know how much that is. I really don't, but I'm, I'm just, I suspect it's something. I, well, they wouldn't have done it unless it had some kind of obviously benefit for them, you know. And I, I, I just find it's interesting because we went so many years without it. Now also we have crawlers and everything, and it's like, okay, what are we doing here? It's a three ring circus. Um, yeah, I we, mean that's why I prefer the, the the internet. Basically, you can make the choice of what you want to watch. You can click to that. So. You know, I, I, I very, very rarely watch, uh, you know, any major network television. And if I do, I record it so I don't have to put up with the corporate propaganda every 20, 20 minutes out of a 60, you know. Um, what I want to send you also, if you don't mind, um, I had said these images because I thought they were interesting. A listener from Tennessee um, had a, a father, and this is going back early part of the 20th century, who was like one of your first, like, you know, Druggist apothecaries, and um, his his uh, drugstore did so well in selling uh, certain prescriptions that came from um, Pfizer that they sent him uh, two things, um, and w- uh, one is a clock and one is a plaque. And the plaque, and I didn't know Pfizer did this. I don't even know if they do it now. I don't think they do. Was without a doubt the complete representation of the eye of Horus. I mean, the whole nine yards from the Egyptian thing. Wow. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm laughing because, okay, here we are with pharmaceuticals at an early time, especially in Pfizer, just using the eye of Horus. And I'll send you that so you can see it, and if you can possibly use it by all means. Uh, but that That's came all from, there. I mean, what was it? There was another company, gosh, I can't remember, recalled, but they had like a moon with stars. That was one of their big icon. They Procter were, and uh, Gamble? Procter Gamble, yeah. Oh, thanks. yeah. You know what? When that broke, we were all laughing at it, just like, you know, everybody laughs at tinfoil hat wearers. Right. And now I'm not laughing anymore. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, also, uh, that's one of, the, one of the things that these guys do is laugh at you when they know that they're using these things, obviously, in, in public. What the, their first knee-jerk response when you confront somebody who has or is using a cult sign is to say you're insane. 
So or laugh at you, you know. So that's kind of the standard response. But once you figure it out and figure out what they're coming from, it's, it makes it a lot easier to discern and see it in front of your face, you know. And I don't want to get into this now. I'm sure you don't either. But unfortunately, uh, there's a lot of symbology in Christianity, that, and it has embraced uh, quite a few occult symbols. So. Um, Absolutely. I mean, I would say that uh, particularly the Catholic Church is much more fond of occult symbolism. Rome is just suffused with the obelisks uh, all the way through uh, that city. And, I mean, every other corner you go to or any central square has an obelisk that's probably been brought from Egypt. And uh, the one in the central square there at... uh, at uh, St. Peter's, which was built after the, the original St. Peter's Cathedral, is a huge obelisk in a sundial. Uh, so it's kind of the, you know, and the obelisk is a phallic symbol. So you have this solar phallus, phallic, um, you know, mm-hmm. uh, design that has in, in, at the center of a church that has really just dominated the earth. And uh, to me, it's just a, uh, a horror of Christianity. I think that it's reference that way in uh, Jesus Christ's revelation to John. And, uh, you know, it's pretty amazing that even more more so amazing is that the obelisk that rests there was brought from Egypt by none other than Caligula, the kind of uh, the one of the most destructive Roman emperors, you know, of a very destructive era. So uh, it seems pretty strange to have these Christians uh, allow this to actually be a central motif or uh, article in the center of their church, and I think it says a lot about uh, the Catholic Church uh, in particular that they would even allow that there. And then you know you have the Pope wearing all kinds of strange regalia and weird fish hats, and I mean stuff that uh, you know I think would be completely unbecoming a uh, well, you know, woodworker from the Galilee. So, well, um, I don't know how you feel about this, but. Uh, you look at that miter hat, and uh, and that does have some kind of connection with uh, also Dagon, right? Yeah, I mean, there's some kind of weird correlation to astrotheology, and you know, the dog, I think the dog star and Sirius, and yes. that that actually is something that's very important in the occult is this kind of Sirius myth, and you see the Sirius uh, dog star. They call Sirius the dog star, so you see all that kind of. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Corporate uh, logos and this kind of serious internet. It's kind of interesting that you have this uh, basically a uh, satellite that travels around the Earth that sends out information called Sirius, yeah. <laughs> or it has the dog with a star on his eye. So you have the, I mean, this is just straight out of the occult. And then the whole Sirius myth is that these occultists have received information from Sirius. So these people who created the Sirius uh, satellite for the music, they knew that, the, you know, they like almost put this thing out there almost as a kind of like a, a similar element to uh, or a similar correlation to this whole serious myth in the occult. And I don't know if you remember sense. this or not, too, but I, this is a hoot. Uh, the uh, Army was thinking about uh, uh, placing quite high up uh, dirigibles that would be surveillance uh, tools. And right. the program, do you remember that, was named ISIS? Yeah, 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 I think that's right. Yeah, I remember that. I mean, it's just... It in your doesn't face. get any better than that. Yeah, <laughs> okay. it's amazing. I also have to I crack up, too. Well, I mean, you know, tongue-in-cheek, but, I mean, uh, of some of the names that are becoming more popular for, like, uh, the babies, you know, the females are like ISIS now. That's great. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, that. no, yeah. There's, it's, it's becoming a little bit more... I mean, it might be, what, a half a percent or a percent, but, I mean, I didn't go to school, like, in, what, 14 years of public education or whatever with any child, you know, named ISIS, but... I don't yeah, know how I got I mean, it's, you're basically we're entering into an era of uh, witchcraft in the occult. I mean, it's going to start suffusing everything, and I don't see it being turned back. So it's uh, it's going to be a pretty harrowing ride out for the next whenever. Well, I things are getting so. a little bit more obvious, aren't they? 
Yeah, they are. And, I mean, it's, the Internet has helped, and the ability to talk to people of like-minded through the Internet has helped because uh, people are able to learn and kind of solidify their opinions with each other and, you know, feel less uh, atomized, I guess. So, you know, I think that's, that's helped a lot of people to exchange information and verify. So it allows people to verify facts and information that were kept hidden or secret. Uh, before we leave New York, uh, the United Nations is interesting. Uh, before we get into exactly what uh, you dealt with uh, with regard to the United Nations, again, a Rockefeller construct, uh, does, the, does the U.N. at all remind you of the monolith in 2001? A little bit. I mean, it has that, it has that feel, you know, this kind of uh, flat plane and everything like that. So, uh, you know, the... Uh, it's an impressive structure. And, and, you know, as a child, I was in New York, you know, quite often. And I do remember, just as a child will do, taking a look at all the structures. And the U.N., especially at that time, we're looking at the 50s and 60s, was completely uh, different from anything else that was put up. Because it just is this very, what you would call thin-looking, elongated, um, I don't know, monolith, sitting right next to uh, the East uh, uh, Harlem River Drive, the East River Drive. So, I mean, it was. There's no mistaking that. Plus, they had the lower level with the dome and all that. But, uh, yeah, uh, that building definitely. Uh, and i, I got to tell you something, too. Uh, William, what I've done is, I don't know if you're aware of this, but I've done a show years ago, and um, I just put up some of the audio of it on a Stuff and Things that I have up there. And it was a newsreel of, in 1946, 1945 or 46 of where would the U.N. finally be put up? Would it be Boston or would it be New York? So this was going back and forth. Obviously, New York finally won. But um, underneath it, uh, believe it or not, are you with me there? Yeah, I'm, I'm here. Okay. Underneath it, though, is a soundtrack, you know, just kind of undercurrent uh, music that is exactly what the Star Trek theme was when it, the first Star Trek in, what, 66 or so? Interesting. Uh, take, listen if you can. It's at the very end of the, everybody. I mean, just take a look, at, uh, listen if you can. It'll say Star Trek theme in 1945 with the question mark. Go to the end of the audio, and you'll hear it. I play it like two or three times. Uh, we've taken a look since then, and we found out that the guy who did the, uh, the composition, his name was Courage. Uh, Roddenberry gets involved with it because Roddenberry had written lyrics for it without Courage knowing so that, um, Roddenberry could get royalties without Courage knowing he did that. And Courage was obviously quite ticked off and he left the, uh, um, left the show. But if you listen to that, you have to wonder, you know, here you hear what you hear in Star Trek in 1945 or 6, and of course, what are we dealing with? The UN is for a global federation. What was Star Trek but for a galactic federation? And right. I'm, and I'm sure Roddenberry knew it, but just a little spooky thing. But getting into well, Roddenberry the, uh, seems to be a very high mason as well. So, exactly. You know, he uh, definitely pushed that kind of meme through his, uh, through his, uh, you know, through his show, and I, I think it was very attractive to people. I mean, it almost like his his show presupposed the joining of the world together. So he actually did something very clever, which is not like having the goal for it, but just assuming it had already taken place. Uh, not that I look at the old episodes for this, but now when I do see them, and, and they don't seem to be around as much as they were a couple of years ago, the reruns, uh, you also will see a whole bunch of uh, occult symbolism that like are, for instance, ingrained in the chair that somebody sits in, you know, in one of these other planets. So right. it's all over the place. And, of course, the first episode had, um, it was the trial of what, Captain Pike. Uh, does Pike ring a bell? So. No, that sounds familiar, yeah. <laughs> all right, oh, right, tell Albert Pike. Yeah, his name was Albert Pike, right? Yeah. I oh, think well, no. Pike, right? Captain Pike's first name, I don't know, it was Albert, but... Uh, I but, think it is actually Albert. If I, if my memory serves me correctly, it oh. is Albert. Oh, okay. Yeah, I forgot about that. That's oh, beautiful. Gosh. Uh, but, uh, talk about the United Nations, though, if you would, and especially about that meditation room, which is kind of eerie. Well, you know, like I said, I haven't actually been on site, so a lot of the stuff I haven't analyzed, but I just recalled when I was kind of writing about these Rockefeller buildings... Uh, one of the sequences from Mystery Babylon that William Cooper did, which was based on, uh, you know, one of them was just about the UN building the meditation room and uh, what it represented. And the, I just put some of the information down from that uh, the one hour program that he had, but uh -huh. basically, you know, the 72 is an important number. 
Uh, there supposedly are 72 chief demons that, that uh, you know, run the earth underneath Lucifer. And so uh, there are like 72 uh, shapes within this, uh, basically something that looks kind of a, like a modern art uh, work mural. And uh, there's also kind of an altar there that's made out of solid iron. And, uh, you know, from the top looking down, it looks like a one eye on the top of a pyramid. So, you know, somebody put some thought and detail into uh, that particular room that, you know, if you didn't know anything about the occult, uh, you would just think it's a strange room. But if you were, it would be, you know, uh, just this temple to all kinds of occult ideals and philosophies. And, I mean, there's all kinds of ornate meanings that are in there that the initiated eye or somebody who is given an understanding of the room would understand. Um. Excuse me, I just sneezed. Uh, so somebody who would uh, somebody would understand if if they were given the kind of code book to the room. Uh, I tell you what, uh, if we can switch gears now, uh, but before we do, uh, to talk a little bit about what you now have uh, uh, coming up, uh, I'll have to say that I hit the Masons pretty heavy in years gone by because of all this symbolism, which seems to be somewhat preserved in some of their higher degrees. Okay, we understand it. I get it. But I have to say, though, that sometimes I think that uh, laying it all on masonry is kind of like a, uh, a deliberate hangout, um, a, a, a definite like detour down a side street. Because this, and, and I'm going to ask you to speak to this. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Okay, no problem. But all this does go back, though, doesn't it, to, I mean, Babylon, Egyptian sun god worship. I mean, this stuff has been with us for all time. Yeah, I would say so. I would say it's more than masonry. Masonry kept some of it, uh, kept some of its secrets, and some of it's done. But it's to me, it's much broader. Like when I learned about Crowley, and how diverse he was, and how he was, you know, he went back to Babylon himself, uh, and to, you know, he believed in the, you know, everything. All worship is solar and phallic, and you know, things that were for me outside of masonry. I think that, and most of the people that Crowley associated with, the people who passed through masonry. So they were 30 degree, 33 degrees, but they went beyond it. So I see the real influential people as people who have been initiated in more, into more than one society who are uh, really uh, pretty much hardcore occultists, you know, who have done masonry and OTO and their own magic and read other books and, you know, are part of uh, kind of what would be called Mystery Babylon, I guess. Um. One thing I want to ask you, uh, I think you're aware of the Informer, uh, and uh, the ATG site went down. We're we're trying to pull stuff out just to preserve it so it can be read. I didn't really go into this too much, and and, uh, I don't don't know that it's it's a place uh, or a subject that one should spend all that time with. But I'm going to throw it out to you just because we've been talking about New York and such and, and everything that's taken place there. Uh, Do you believe at all that, uh, that New York might be the Babylon spoken about in Revelation? I don't know. Yeah, I really don't know. I mean, it has that element of Babylon, like when when the you know people are are railing against Babylon. But uh, to say that it is 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 not something. Maybe it's its modern incarnation. I've always thought the place is a little strange and a little uh, creepy. I've never. I'm I'm from the Midwest <laughs> right. and I'm in California, so I always got a strange feeling about New York. But uh, I really don't know. I mean, it, it seems like I said, it seems to encapsulate. A lot of its uh, principles, ancient Babylon's principles. Um, I, I kind of think it isn't one city. I think it's a system. Um, but yeah. that's why I asked you because I mean I don't know. I don't know that it's that important. Um, but the one thing is we do know that Scripture says it's going to be ter- you know it's going to be done away with. So I mean that's all that really matters. I think in a certain sense. Uh, now moving away, if we could, to what I guess is is this going to be a series, the Doctrine of Silence in the New World Order? Yeah, well, it'll just be uh, it'll be like a seven-page kind of. Uh, uh, you know, a thousand word document with some pictures, just like the one I did on Rockefeller, but just kind of putting together uh, some concepts for for people to kind of get an idea of where I'm coming from and why. You know, basically the basic premise of that of the paper that I'm going to put out is, or this uh, is, is the importance of silence in uh, the elite and in the American aristocracy. And show how it the, this kind of idea of silence suffuses um, their their view of the world and what how they keep their knowledge and also uh, how it's how it's infused into 
the buildings and architecture of the places they they spend time at. Um, is it is it your th- belief, and I have to say it's probably mine, that uh, as much as uh, people want to believe that the New World Order is going to get kicked in the shin, it'll be turned around and spanked, um, and it's not that I don't want to put up opposition as such, and I, I guess I've uh, lost some friends uh, because I'm saying, look, I mean, this thing is very well developed, and we don't even know what we're dealing with. And to go ahead and, and try to, uh, uh, you know, duke out with it, I mean, it's just not going to work. There's other things that we should be doing because we are not of this world, and I don't think, well, I know we can't stop what's coming. A lot of people don't believe uh, that, in fact, is true. Uh, but besides that, and if you want to speak to that afterwards, fine. But the question I would ask you is this. What, what struck me about what you did uh, with the Doctrine of Silence in the New World Order Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know what it brings home to me is the fact that these characters are so dedicated and they have been generationally involved in this, and that they, quote, can't keep a secret. And that is why the advances that they have made have been so successful. And I have to say, I don't see it being um, abrogated in the least, but but go ahead, William. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that it is generational. I think that uh, it is a long-range plan. I think that it defines them as the uh, kind of an elite class as opposed to a more equi- uh, equitable society. You know, even in the early Christendom, uh, you know, there was an attempt to share goods and to get away with uh, property and class distinctions, and you can see that uh, with the early apostles. And um, I think that these people are the exact opposite. They want to solidify distinctions. They want to keep power and knowledge for themselves. And one of the ways they do that is to maintain a code of silence and reinforce that code of silence. Uh, and it goes back even to the occult, and it goes back into the ancient gods. Uh, they use the gods Harpocrat or Harpocrates, uh, which is a Greek out of silence, and Harpocrat is a uh, kind of a, a god form of the god Horus, so there's a, you know, your occult tie there. But basically they use these uh, symbols as a reason to keep quiet for a variety of reasons, not only for their political connections, but also for what they do uh, when they're out of the public eye. And uh, you see these, these statues and... Um, symbols of this 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 silence or the gesture of silence uh, at uh, for example and, and you'll see this in my writing at Skull and Bones at uh, Bohemian Club and um, you know uh, famous people make that sign of silence frequently but the rest of the world doesn't really know how to interpret it I certainly didn't but uh, as I learned more I saw it as much more of a common occurrence well you know I've been involved in looking at this stuff for I guess about ten years or so. Um, that never dawned on me. Um, how did it hit you uh, that, well, what started this, the fact that you realized that throughout uh, the centuries, uh, preserved in uh, paintings and in sculptures, that we had this uh, finger to uh, the pursed lips? Well, it was just like seeing the correlation. Oh, there it's there. So I did some studying for when I wrote my book on Crowley. I, I did something about the Hellfire Club because Crowley started his own Hellfire Club. And at the original Hellfire Club that was in England in the late 18th century, 
uh, at the entrance into it, uh, Dashwood's, Dashwood's Hellfire Club, is uh, they have this the statue of Harpocrates, so you're supposed to be quiet. And then one of Crowley's godforms, and one of the things that he did was uh, to have the sign of silence. And I have that in the uh, the paper that I'm going to put out. And, uh, you know, so this is, this is a concept and idea that goes back at least... 200, 250 years, and it might have even gone back into ancient history for all I know. I just haven't been able to study or, or make that correlation, but I've just dawned on me by seeing these similar gestures by uh, different people. So, uh, you know, and these, these statues, one of the interesting uses of this sign of silence is that Bohemian Club, where they were given a, a statue of St. John of Nepomuk, meaning making the gesture of silence, and they keep it at the Bohemian Club's downtown office on Taylor, I think it's on Taylor and Sutter or Taylor, uh, can't remember the cross street, but uh, the, uh, they wheel it out from the club to the Grove, which is about 45 minutes north from downtown uh, San Francisco every year, and they carefully install it, and they help, apparently hold meetings in front of it and uh, emphasize uh, the need for discretion uh, during the Grove, so uh, that's kind of reinforced uh, and there's actually there was a discourse that Alex Jones once had with this guy David Gergen, who was a yeah I saw yeah have you do you remember that yeah go ahead but, but talk about well, it well it's interesting was... because they didn't have a meeting of minds Gergen assumed if you go back and listen to that yeah. Gergen assumed that Jones had made an oath of silence so he was talking to him, well aren't you, aren't you supposed to be quiet and Jones didn't get it because he he doesn't know anything about the code of silence he doesn't know anything about uh, you know the, what the Grovers do, and uh, about their code of, you know, uh, discretion. So he's talking, but Gergen thinks that he's one of them, and uh, so he and he's breaking their oath. And you, if you go back and listen to that, you can see that you know, the discourse takes on a different uh, character when you understand that Gergen, you know, has clearly made his gesture or oath of silence. Well, and uh, thinking back you know, to that. So, doesn't and I, I'm just going to try to approximate the words unless you know them. But he says, didn't he say something about you know you broke the arrangement or something like that? Yeah, so he says something like that. Like so, it's clear that there's a code of silence at the Grove. I don't know what the arrangement is. I don't have the detailed inside knowledge, but it, my my guess is that it has something to do with making a a vow of silence. Well, not to hammer on him, but then that that puts in a, a different light. How he was able to get in. Now you got to wonder if he was allowed to get in. He played it off like he snu- he sneaked in, and then if uh, if he did it like somebody who crawls under the fence, why would Gergen know about that? But if he was allowed to go in, and made it look like it was clandestine to us, and then Gergen says that to him, you know, now you got to wonder if uh, his original uh, reportage in, in the Grove was all that, you know, under the fence. Yeah, I, I don't know. I really don't know. That's a strange thing. Um, uh, the other thing I want to ask you before we uh, close it up, and now that you've done what you've done with the uh, uh, w- with the code of silence and such, and, and there's one other thing about this too. In scripture, it kind of like uh, details that there are certain things that just aren't good, and one of them I think is 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 a, a winking eye, if, right. if I got that right. And I and I put the you know anything that seems secret, although some secrecy had to take place. We understand that you know with the spies in the Old Testament and such. But it's almost like the winking of the eye, uh, what happens when night falls, and this kind of like, don't tell. It all doesn't really have anything that can in any way, shape, or form be beneficial to people of the light. Uh, Your take on that? Absolutely. I totally agree. I mean, these people keep things secret because their works are evil. They know they are, but they want to keep them secret because it would denude their power and authority over others if they disclosed exactly what was going on. So uh, I do see that... uh, you know, the secrecy is a you know an element of the cold and evil. I mean, I think that you know Christ uh, basically uh, kind of commanded us to do our works in the light because they're good. You know, but the secret the secret things are typically the evil ones, and that's why those people will never really become authentic Christians because uh, they don't want their evils to come to light. And the, the kind of perversions and things that take place at the Grove and Skull and bones, you know, are not anything those people would ever want to make public. Uh, I'm going to ask you this as 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 an outro, just to see how you feel about this. I know some people have done work in this in this area. Um, I think there's more to be done, and I think it has to be a, a lot franker, if you will. 
But when you take a look at all of that you spoke to today, especially with that that takes place in New York, and I also think about Chicago, too, where there's a Rockefeller influence in the U of Chicago being somewhat of kind of their think tank. Yeah, if, uh, uh, if not a total think tank for them, actually. Yeah, you know what? You're right. I mean, I'm couching what I was saying, but I, I have to agree with you, um, especially when I see some of the stuff that's come out of there uh, actually through the whole century. But well, I was educated at a kind of adjunct uh, University of Chicago school that uh, – I mean, you'd be. I mean, that's a whole nother show to see what they thought. I mean, they basically had it right off the Rockefeller playbook, where individual rights are actually monetized, so that the rights are actually uh, not uh, divisible. Uh, you know, independent. They're not. The rights are not independent entities in themselves. They're always tied into some need for money. Yes. And uh, yep. so, like justice and liberty, are really somebody. Uh, clamoring for more cash, and I mean that's right out of the Rockefeller playbook. But that's an aside. Well, I tell you, that's great stuff. If you ever want to do that, please come my way with that. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny. Yeah, that's University of Chicago, uh, one hundred and one. You know, and a lot of the lawyers who come out of University of Chicago get bombarded with that. It's called law and economics. It's a field within the law uh, that uh, you know you don't have a choice but to study it if you go to Chicago or some other schools that are what what are called right wing. That's a whole other story. Yeah, maybe sometime, too, along the lines of that, I'd love to hear what you had to say about D.C. Uh, there's a lot of people who give uh, a real pass to our founding fathers, but I can't understand how in the world you can absolutely festoon that district and even all the other icons like our flags and such with um, a cult symbolism and, and just give everybody a pass that, oh, we didn't know that was happening. So, Yeah, I mean, th- that's, just, that's another hour-long thing. I mean, you can talk about this. The House of the Temple there, which is like a, basically an Egyptian, uh, you know, central, uh, Egyptian architectural central hub for high level masons, which I used to walk by when I was living there and just stand, stare at it at all. Like, where did this thing come from? What is going on here? So, you know, there, I could probably just do a whole series on the, I think that Tex Mars has done some work on that. I should look at his stuff, but he's actually done some work on all these weird, odd, Masonic buildings all throughout the United States. And, you know, really gets down to also the one thing, too, and that is why does the star have five points? I look up in the sky. It doesn't look like it has five points to me. So there you go. Yeah. I, won't, I won't let you go down that road unless you want to. So <laughs> I know you got to run. I appreciate the time you spent with us. Again, it's William Ramsey. The, the uh, website is occult911.com. The link uh, to the, uh, uh, the Rockefeller symbolism will be up there. Links to his site. And you can find out about the book, the PDF, uh, also about the DVDs. So thanks so much for coming on, William. I appreciate it, and I uh, hope you can get around a little bit more with that because you you, know, you did a good work, and, you, and obviously there's more to come. Thank you. Uh, for sure. All right. Take care. Thank you. Uh, bye-bye, William. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. <gasps> no. Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.